Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, good morning, One Church TO. It is so good to be with you again this morning. You know what? I love baptism weekends. I just love the stories that accompany individuals getting in the tank. And so my heart was encouraged. I hope your heart was encouraged this morning as well. As Pastor Jonathan mentioned, we are going to be continuing in your Keeping It Connected series. And we're going to be looking at a really interesting side of relationships this morning. And that is the idea of comparison. And comparison is something that we all struggle with. Even Jesus' own disciples, you know those guys that spent so much time with him, they struggled with comparison too. So we're going to take a look at one of their lives and their stories and see what we may learn from it this morning. But first, a little bit about me, I guess. My name is Jessica. I've been happily married for coming up on 12 years to my husband, Skip. Uh, We have three children. They are almost nine, seven, and five. And so I was saying in the other gatherings that I call them pandemic children now because they've spent so much time together, so much time together over the past year. And for the most part, they get along really, really well. But there are those moments that they love to fight with each other. I don't know if this is a reality in any homes that are in the chat right now, but I'd love to know, do your kids do this as well? Educators, Grandparents, do you struggle with this reality as well? My kids, they want to compare everything against each other. They want to compare colors of cups that I give them. Last week, I overheard a conversation in which they were comparing who had the most letters in their name. And they determined by consensus that the one of them that had seven letters in their name, well, they were the best. And the one that had three, well, unfortunately, they were not the best. But their favorite comparison, their favorite thing to compete against is who the favorite child in our family is. Now, I'll pause and say we love our kids. We spend a lot of time with our kids. But they all have this tendency to measure our love for them based on how much we love their siblings. And so they're always arguing about this. They're always talking about it. And one time, a couple of months ago, they were talking about this, arguing. And I had what I like to call a parenting magic moment. Now, these are the moments in which, unfortunately, no one is around you. You might be at the park by yourself. You might be picking up a child. You might be in your home. No one, unfortunately, gets to watch the wisdom and grandeur of your parenting in that moment. But I had one of those. My kids were arguing about who was the favorite in our family. And I said, hey guys, no worries. I have a heart that is split into three very equal parts. And on each of these parts is one of your name. And so I love you all the same. And just as I was about to give myself a pat on the back for a wonderful parenting Jessica, one of them jumps in and says, hey mom, if you love us all the same, then who's part is at the top. See, I was thinking of more of a heart with three equal parts, but they had decided that it was going to be like that. And we laugh, we laugh. But But the truth is that comparison is a reality of the human experience. We all struggle with it. 
But how we handle comparison can determine its effect on our lives. And so we need to learn to recognize when comparison is happening in our lives. Today we're going to take a look at the book of John, chapter 21, and we're going to look at a story that takes place between Jesus and a few of his disciples. I think it's going to help us understand a bit more this idea of comparison. Now, let me give you a little bit backstory. In this story, Jesus is actually appearing to his disciples after his death and resurrection. He's already been resurrected. And so he's visiting them. Let me paint the stage a little bit for you. What happens is there's this guy named Peter. Peter is a disciple of Jesus. And so Peter decides he wants to go fishing. And so a couple of the disciples say, hey, we'll go fishing with you, Peter. One of these guys is John, and Peter and John are great friends. And so Peter, John, and a few disciples get in a boat, and they go out in the night, and they go fishing all night. And guess what? They catch nothing. No fish at all. So I bet they're disappointed. Waste of a night, right? And so they pack up their boat and they head back to the shore, the Bible says, and they notice there's a man on the beach. Now, we know that the man is Jesus, but they don't know that yet. They haven't figured it out. And so the man on the beach calls out to them and says, hey guys, did you catch any fish? They respond, no, there's no fish in this water. Stay on the beach, don't go fishing. And the man says to them, well, why don't you try throwing your net on the other side of the boat? And for some reason, they listen to him. I don't know why. They've been out there all night. But they listen to this man. They throw their net on the other side of the boat. And the Bible says instantly it's full of fish, teeming to the point that they can't even pull it up on the boat. And it's at this moment that John notices something really interesting about that man on the beach. But pause for a second. I want to talk about John for a little bit. John's a really important person in this narrative. Important guy in the disciples, but especially in this narrative. You see, John is someone who kind of walks around with a title, a subtitle. You know those type of people where they have their name big and bold, and then underneath it tells you what they do, what their credentials are, where they went to school, whatever. He's an important guy. My son loves Batman, and Batman has the same thing going on. My son will watch tons of Batman movies, books, Whatever, he loves Batman. Every story of Batman starts off something like this. Batman, the dark knight who protects Gotham City. You see, there's other people that like keep Gotham City safe, police officers, security guards, but Batman, it is his purpose. He's the dark knight who protects Gotham City. Well, John has a very similar name and it's this. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now we look at that for a second and think, hmm, a little bit pompous, a little bit arrogant, right? Like the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, let me let you, on, let you in on a little secret. John actually is the disciple whom Jesus loved because he loved Jesus so much that he wanted even his name to point to the extravagant love of Jesus. And so John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is on the boat. He's watching the man on the beach. They've just got a boat full of fish and he realizes he loves Jesus, and he realizes that in that moment, these fish are a miracle from Jesus' hands. And so he's like, hey guys, that's Jesus. And the Bible says that the moment that he announces that it's Jesus, we watch Peter jump in the boat and run to get to Jesus before any of the disciples can get to him. Now, when finally the other disciples are able to haul the big load of fish to the shore— they meet up with John, and they meet up with Peter and Jesus. 
And Jesus asks them to come and have breakfast with them. You see, Jesus has a campfire going. He already has fish going on a pot. And he invites them to sit down and have breakfast with them. I imagine that it's a wonderful time. They haven't seen Jesus for a while. They're probably talking about stories, reminiscing, laughing, enjoying their time. When all of a sudden, Jesus turns the conversation a little bit. He shifts it a bit. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Well, Peter responds, of course I love you, Jesus. And Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And again, in three times, Jesus confirms to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you, Jesus. And it's after this little exchange that Jesus asks Peter a very difficult question. So we're going to pick that up in John 21 this morning, starting at verse 18. It says this, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus was saying this to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Pause here for a second. Jesus right here, he is foreshadowing for Peter a martyr's death. Now, whether Peter fully understood what that death would look like, I'm not sure, but Peter would have understood that he was going to die for his faith. So continuing in the text, it says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, well, we know that was John, was following them. And when Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus replied, if I want John to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? As for you, follow me. I love Jesus in this passage. He has no problem saying to Peter, stay in your own lane. I wonder sometimes if God is saying that to us. When I start to look at other people's lives and compare my life against them, Jessica, stay in your own lane. We can all relate to that this morning, can't we? Our eyes start to shift to other people's lanes. We're looking at what other people are doing. And in those moments, that is where comparison can thrive. Today, we're going to look at two spots in this story. The first one being when Peter jumped out of the boat to get to Jesus right before John. And the second one was when Peter wanted to compare his life plan next to John's. And I think we're going to see here is how we allow comparison to impact us matters because comparison will either sharpen us or it will harm us. And it does both for Peter in this story today. Now, to help us understand, brought a little pocket knife, something show and share to show you. There's a lot of features about a pocket knife, two I want to look at today. The first is this, the knife actual part. The first is this, we have the front edge of a knife. The front edge of the knife, the purpose of that is to carve, to cut, to sharpen something. You can sharpen a pencil with the front edge of a knife. You can carve out some wood. There's so many purposes to the front edge of a knife, right there. The second part I want to look at is the point, the point of the knife. The point of that knife well, it has one purpose. It's to stab something. It can cause huge pain. It can hurt someone drastically if you push that sharp edge, that sharp point of a pocket knife. You see, this pocket knife, it can be used both as a tool or a weapon, depending on how you are using it. And the same is true with comparisons. 
Comparisons in relationships can be used as a tool to make us better or a weapon to hurt us greatly. And the truth is that when comparisons are used as a tool, they can have a positive impact on our lives. We see this when Peter jumps out of the boat ahead of John. Let's remember that John was known by that statement, the one whom Jesus loved. But not only did Jesus love John, John loved Jesus. And we can also assume that John had a pretty cool gift here. He was able to discern that it was Jesus on the beach solely by his miracle. And so when John recognizes that it's Jesus on the beach, I think Peter recognizes an admirable quality in John's life. Deep love, loyalty to Jesus, maybe the gift of discernment. And this pushes Peter to action in his own life. And so though Peter wasn't the first to recognize that it was Jesus on the beach, he determines in his heart he is going to be the first to get to Jesus. And this is how comparison can be used as a tool in our lives. Now, if you've ever played a sport, you're going to understand this idea of comparison when you choose who you're going to train with. You want to train with someone, a coach or another athlete, that's actually better at the sport than you. Why? Well, when you train with them, you're going to be challenged. You're going to grow. You're going to become a better athlete. And the same is true for relationships. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And so when Peter jumps out of the boat, spurred on by his friend's love for Jesus, I think we're seeing the truth of this verse play out here. You see, Peter and John, they were really good friends. And through this friendship, through this relationship, we're watching as Peter becomes a better man, a more committed disciple. Because for a while now, Peter has been walking around with a subtitle of his own. And this is what that was, Peter, the disciple who denied Jesus. You see, three times Peter denied Jesus as Jesus was approaching the cross. And this denial of Jesus was a weight that Peter probably had been carrying around for quite some time. You see, he hadn't even had time to reconcile with Jesus yet. And so when Peter jumps out of that boat, spurred on by his friend John's deep love for Jesus, it's as if Peter is dropping that weight of denying Jesus and becoming more like his friend John, who has always been loyal to Jesus. You see, when we recognize good qualities in each other, these comparisons become a tool that produces growth in our lives. The truth is that others have a handle on things in their lives that I need to get a handle on in my life. Sometimes I can watch someone I respect demonstrate admirable qualities, and hey, I want to get that done in my life. I want to improve things in my life. Maybe you have a colleague who is really good at a certain aspect of your job, and that is a skill set that you want to develop in your own life. When these kind of comparisons motivate us and inspire us to change, well, this is a healthy tool. Kind of like the front edge of a pocket knife sharpening something, making it better. But the problem comes when comparisons leave us feeling less than or a little bit inferior to someone else. Like maybe when someone has something that I don't have, like that fancy new phone that I really, really want, but my bank account just 
can't pay for it yet. Or maybe when God has decided that someone else is going to go down a path, that he has not put me down. You see, when comparisons leave me feeling less than or inferior to, this is when comparisons can become a dangerous weapon. Like the point of that pocket knife piercing deeply, these comparisons can cut us greatly. And this is what we see happening, I think. When Peter sees the plan that Jesus has for his life, and he wants to look at the plan that he has for John's life as well, Peter immediately turns his attention to John and says, but what about him? It's almost as if Peter is doubting his calling next to John. Almost if he feels a little inferior to, less than John. Almost as if Peter looks at God's plan for his life and determines, well, it must be lacking next to John's. The truth is that comparison kills when we measure our life against another. I'm sure we can all relate to this type of comparison. I can feel really happy with my life, content with the things that I got, grateful for my family, happy with the place that I live, until I measure it against someone else's life. And in those moments, my life can turn a little lackluster, maybe feel a little bit less than, maybe a little bit inferior to. And I think that's probably how Peter feels right here. Peter loves Jesus. Peter wants to follow him. But when Peter looks back at John and remembers how much John has loved, how, how good John has been, I think he questions it all. It's a bit like my kids sitting around the table arguing about who is the favorite child. The truth is we love them equally. But we love them in very unique ways. My relationship with each of my kids is so different. Their needs are different. And so the way that we go about needing, meeting those needs, well, that's different. But it's the same love that we have for them. Now, one of them might receive more discipline in a particular season, or for one of them, maybe a whole lifetime. Uh, we might spend more time with one of them based on their needs in that season. Sometimes we spend more money on one than the other. For example, at Christmas time, based on their wish list, we spend more money on our kids based on the other. But all of them, all of them always receive good gifts from us. This last Christmas, one of our kids, we purchased a microscope for them. They love science. They love figuring out how the world works, how things connect together. We knew that they would love this present. And so we went to the store and I remember grabbing it thinking, oh, they're going to love this so much. Another one of them, they had an expensive piece of technology on their wish list. And you know what? They also had a need for it. So that's what they opened up on Christmas morning. And then another wanted a specific toy. And you know what? I found it secondhand. And so I purchased that toy. And their eyes lit up the most that Christmas morning. Now, all three of these presents were worth very different monetary values. Yet all of them were bought with care, hand-selected for children who are deeply loved. Now today, this morning, we could take those gifts and we could compare them based on their monetary worth. We have a microscope, some expensive piece of technology, a second-hand toy. One kid would obviously be the winner. One kid surely would be the loser. But measuring these Christmas gifts based on their monetary values would be like pushing the point of a pocket knife against something. It would cause so much unnecessary harm because that wasn't the purpose of the gifts. These gifts were chosen based 
on the uniqueness of these children who are loved. They were given with care by parents who loved them so greatly. And the same is true with God. He does not give us all the same things. My gifts are different than your gifts. Your abilities, I guarantee it, are different than my abilities. God may have designed you with great empathy so you're able to go and sit with people when they're brokenhearted. That's a gift. Maybe God gave you a heart that beats for injustice, that you cannot be silent when something is going wrong. That's a gift from God. Maybe God gave you wisdom that's so far beyond your years so you could provide discernment for future generations. That's a gift from God. Maybe God gave you the creativity of an artist. That's a gift. Maybe the gift of prayer to come alongside people as they're suffering. Maybe God gave you the skills of a builder. That's a gift. The hands of a surgeon to heal. That's a gift. Maybe he gave you the patience of an educator and we know that is a huge gift. Maybe he gave you the willing heart of a servant. Or maybe the beautiful voice of a worshiper like GT worship this morning. Or maybe he gave you the mind of a scholar. That's not yours. That's a gift from God. You see, the gifts and callings that he places on each of our lives are always different. But they're always good because they're hand-selected by a God who deeply loves his kids. The truth is that Peter, he couldn't even dream of the good plans that God had for his life. They were so so good. In such a short time, God was going to use Peter to spread the gospel and build his church. Peter would become one of the most important faith influential leaders this world would ever see. But in that moment, on that beach, around that campfire, Peter was faced with a decision. He had to decide if God's plans for his life were good. You see, God's plans for Peter's life were never meant to be measured against God's plans for John's life. They were just different. They needed to be celebrated and treasured because they were both good gifts. And while comparison can sometimes be used as a tool to help us grow and make us better, when we use comparison to measure our lives against another person's, it will always, always harm us. God had a different plan for Peter than he did for John. Just as the gifts that God has given to you are not better than, or less than the gifts that he has given to me. They're both just different. And so by comparing them based on only one criteria, which would be the human eye, that would be like taking my kids' Christmas gifts and comparing them based on their monetary value. You see, the gifts God has given to you were never meant to be compared, but rather celebrated. So next time you find yourselves comparing your life to someone else's. And let's be really honest, that's probably gonna happen for both you and I later on this week, later on today, when we're scrolling through social media, looking at what everyone else is doing. I want you to start asking yourself two very simple questions. Number one, do I feel motivated and inspired to develop my abilities when I look at this person's life? Or do I feel discouraged and defeated when I look at their lives? If you're feeling motivated and inspired, that's fantastic. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep watching their life. Keep learning. If you're feeling motivated and inspired, well, that means this is a tool that's being used in your life. But if you feel discouraged and defeated, then you need to stop. 
You need to stop following that social media. You need to stop following that influencer. Stop spending all your time, your money, your energy, your thoughts on trying to become just like one person. Because if you're feeling discouraged and defeated, then comparison is being used as a weapon in your life. Proverbs 14.30 says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I'm gonna paraphrase it for us today. A heart at peace is a tool for the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace can only be achieved by learning to be content with God's good gifts in our lives. Envy is the deadly fruit of comparison. We need to learn to celebrate God's good gifts in our lives by calling them out in each other's lives, by saying, hey, you got the gift of encouragement. Hey, God gave you a brilliant mind. We need to start calling these giftings out in each other's lives. We need to start celebrating what God has given to us rather than comparing them against each other. It's like the saying, if your neighbors, uh, instead of looking at your neighbor's lawn, go and water your own. Instead of paying all your attention on somebody else's life, turn your eyes to the life that God has so graciously blessed you with. The truth is that we can learn from other people. We can be inspired to grow. But God's best for our lives is to live in contentment and celebration, to champion the gifts that he has gifted us with. Maybe for some of us today, we can relate to Peter. Maybe you've made some mistakes in your life and you're doubting your giftings this morning. You're listening to this saying, hey, Pastor Jessica, that sounds awesome, but I don't really have many giftings in my life. I want you to remember this truth. Mistakes didn't disqualify Peter from the giftings and callings that Jesus had for his life. Even though Peter had denied Jesus three times, there was Jesus standing on the beach calling out to him, just like Jesus calls out to each one of us. Come join me on the beach. Your mistakes don't disqualify you. Come sit for me, with me for a while. I have great plans for your life. Will you trust me with them? Will you let me use your life and your giftings to impact this whole world? Friends, God has good plans for your life. They are different than anyone else's and that is why they are so good because they come from a good father who loves you, who loves you because you are his child. Would you let me pray with you this morning? God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are a father that gives good gifts to his kids. That every person watching this morning, God, that you have put in them such wonderful gifts, God, and I pray that we would be people that would start to recognize them, to start celebrating them in our lives and the lives that are surrounding us, God. Would you protect our hearts when we feel that need to compare our lives to other people, God? Would you protect us from that? Would you help us to re recognize when we're using comparison as a weapon in our lives, God? Help keep our eyes fixed on you so that they're not looking to the right and left in other people's eyes, God. Encourage our hearts this morning. You have created us uniquely, differently than anyone else, and that is a gift, God. You are a good, good father. Would you bless my friends this morning? In your name, amen.
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.